0: Is there anything you would have done differently? we reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity.
1: Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment.
0: Hi, I'm Chris Steierwald.
1: And I'm Aliana Johnson.
0: And welcome to Ink Stained Wretches. Ding, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media.
1: Chris, would this be Chris Starwalt uh-huh. of the January 6th Committee?
0: Uh-huh. I, Chris I,
1: Starwalt, witness.
0: I have been. Is it br-
1: that Chris Starwalt?
0: I have been bracing myself for this conversation. Actually, as I sat at the witness table, I braced myself for this conversation. I knew I had to. I knew I had to be prepared. And I want to say, first of all, I. I'm sorry to America for the times I have already talked about my own experience here. It's gross, and the goal of every journalist, you know, uh, a guy asked me,
1: "Should I accept your apology on behalf of America?"
0: I will. Let's see. Let's see if I can <laughs> okay. land it. A guy, he was my Uber driver, and he said uh, to me, "He goes, hey, let me, my daughter, you know, does, do you have advice?" His daughter was a, is, is, is interning as a journalist this summer said you have advice. I said, tell the truth. Write what you know. Don't write what you don't know. many journalists write what they don't know? We'll get to some of that (laughs) this week as we talk about the coverage of the economy. And then the third thing is stay out of the story, right? You're not the story. So this has been weird for me because obviously I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about stuff.
1: Okay. Enough of the throat clearing. I'm going to put Chris... In the hot seat. So, for those who weren't, you know, watching the wall-to-wall, impossible-to-miss coverage of the January 6th committee hearing, Chris testified on Tuesday? Tuesday. Monday. Monday. Okay, yes. Oh, right, Monday. Monday morning. What was it like being in the eye of a media storm? Like, what you were when you were fired from Fox, so this was like the first time since then, but what were your takeaways?
0: Well, I mean, my my strong impulse is to try to defeat your question and evade it, but I
1: people are curious though. Like I what's know, it but like? I feel come like come on.
0: Look, I am willing to prostitute myself for profit. I, I don't want to pretend like there's a the. This great, is
1: even better. Prostitute yourself for the, <laughs> the benefit good, of the listener. Well,
0: and you know, there's the Eddie Rickenbacker quote I've been using uh, a lot lately, which is. That a man has reached a pinnacle of success when he has finally lost interest in money, compliments, and publicity. I'm all in for number one. I'm still pretty interested in number two. But I have reached a point now in my life where, and it's funny, you spend the first 20 years of your life, of your career, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm important. Don't you see me? I'm writing important things. I'm valid. You know, I'm, you know, I'm clawing my way to get on, you know, the McLaughlin group when I get to Washington. Like, can't you see me that I'm uh, valid and please give me money? And I, this week, the sun went over the yard arm, and I was the point of, and of course it was also very nice by the way, that because I'm under contract with News Nation now, I feel really bad as a journalist when a journalist is like, Hey, can I interview you? And you're like, no, because I have spent most of my life on the other side. Hey, can I talk to you? So it's it was weird to to to. I always feel bad in saying no, but I had a grand excuse in my News Nation contract, which is that I could say I'm under contract someplace else, so I well, can't come your on your right show. Now? Well, no, I'm I'm answering. I just okay. told you how it the okay. the very weird feeling of like no, I don't want to, because the reason I don't want to is when I. You know, we've talked about like the remember the story about the reporters who are still feeling trauma from the January yes, sixth, yes. their coverage of January sixth and stuff like that. Not to minimize trauma, not to minimize whatever. I look at it like this. I'm I'm glad I did it. I'm glad it's over. And I don't want to roll around in it like a dog and a dead deer and be like, oh, I'm so brave. I got got a lot of that coverage when I got fired and I got a lot of coverage and I'm grateful for all of it and whatever. And it's fine. But, you know, whatever.
1: Okay, Who had the best question and what was it?
0: Well, I was only questioned by Zoe Lofgren.
1: Okay, What was the best question?
0: I don't remember. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I, I don't know what the best question, it was it was truly a blur it was truly okay. a blur and it was like you go in and it was a blur so and I guess
1: I shouldn't ask you what the worst question was
0: it was not very long no, I, I so mean I so wasn't I wasn't there for very long and it was it was like getting shot out of a cannon I
1: was actually at the car dealership buying or signing the papers I bought the car on Saturday and I was like I had my husband and my daughter with me and a Toyota Highlander a Toyota yeah. So great time to buy a car, I hear, because like you know, interest <laughs> rates are great. So I was at the car dealer. I was like, I got to come back Monday morning. So I was literally in the car dealership and I was watching you on my phone. It's weird. And the funniest thing was, uh, guys at the car car dealership very right wing. Yeah. Super right wing for sure. And one of them was ethnically ethnically Indian. Grew up in South Africa. The other one had grown up in Sweden. I was like, you guys are like the United Nations in here at the Toyota. Super nice guys. And they were awesome. Very right wing. But I was like, I had it, you know, no headphones or anything listening to you. But it was like an hour or something because I was there for a while. And then I was watching all the way in through. You were sitting there for like two and a half hours. No,
0: not at all. No, 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 no. I was there for just a minute. Because
1: it seemed long to me while I was you think it seemed you think it yeah. seemed long to you, yeah,
0: you think it seemed long to you i was the I was the one with the a zoom lens up my left nostril and and people were sending me i was on the I was on the uh, front page of a bunch of newspapers, so friends are sending me you know s- shots of the front. And of course, all I'm thinking is like, how fat do I look? do I look how fat? like I look fat, but how fat do I look?
1: Fortunately, this man's off the market,
0: yeah, exactly kind of. As, but the you know, you're like,. Ugh. Okay, I guess it's passable, but you know, fortunately, I had my crew with me—Samantha Goldstein and the Jessica Malugin, the pony—were backing me up back there. So I knew that I, that everybody knew that my crew rolled deep, and it was good like that. So it was fine, and I'm glad it's over. And I am glad I. I, I think that the way these committees are, the the way the committees work is is turning out. Is and I do not fall into this category because I was going to respond to Congress when I when called I was going to go right. That's I didn't think that I had a choice, but I think that for guys like Bill Stepien and others, Jason Miller, this provides the place for them to say the stuff that they wanted to that they that they should have said or wanted to say because they're like, well, I'm not I'm not helping the other team. I'm under subpoena. I had to go and I wasn't going to lie. And here it is. So I think that it is. I do think that this net-net ends up, so far, a net positive for Republicans.
1: Well, we can't get off this topic before quoting from one of my least favorite people in journalism. One of your least favorite people in journalism? She's the freaking worst. Margaret Sullivan of the Washington Post has a new favorite in our friend Chris, and we will link her column in the show notes. The headline is Chris Steierwald lost his job at Fox News, but he knows he was right. The subheadline is the politics editor behind the Arizona call in 2020 that enraged Trump brought his journalism bona fides to the House January 6 hearing, and Margaret writes. For a guy who made a controversial election night call and then lost his treasured role with what he is called the best decision desk in the news business, Chris Starwalt appears to have no regrets. Testifying Monday morning, the former politics editor at Fox News spoke confidently, colorfully, and yes, decisively about what happened in November 2020. And she is just warming up. So you should go read the rest of what she had to say. Suffice it to say, it is the best thing she has ever written.
0: I did not make that call. I was part of the team that made the call. Well, I mean, as usual, riddled,
1: riddled with factual right, errors, right, okay? Right, okay right, but right, everyone right. should go read it. Everyone sh- should go read I it.
0: Sh- I should – I and I always like to point Don't out – Don't hold here.
1: Chris accountable for her factual as errors. I, as
0: I always like to point out, you know, my boss, Bill Salmon, was the boss, and Arnon Mishkin and a team of fabulous nerds, uh, that was a unanimous call and it was a right call, and I am still proud that we beat the competition – And I bet News Nation, I hope that by the time we get to the 2024 presidential election, maybe News Nation will be the one with the decision desk kicking everybody's behind.
1: That brings us to our front page. These are the stories that we thought were most important this week. And there are a lot of them. (laughs) Up first, our headline, and there are several stories under it, are woke Words, whoa.
0: Michael Powell, the great uh, reporter at the New York Times, who, as you have pointed out rightly before, is has been nailing a really undercovered beat about the wokeness and the speech police and all of this stuff has really done it. So last week he had a great piece uh, about how the inability to use the word mother and women are hampering pro-abortion rights activists' efforts to deal, to put, to increase pressure around Roe v. Wade. And as he writes, from Planned Parenthood to NARAL Pro-Choice America to the American Medical Association to city and state health departments and younger activists, the word women has in a matter of a few years appeared far less in talk of abortion and pregnancy, driven by allies and activists for transgender people, medical, government, and progressive organizations have adopted gender-neutral language, language that draws few distinctions between women and transgender men, as well as those who reject. Uh, oh, as well as those who reject those identities altogether. The speed of the change is evident. In 2020, NARAL issued a guide to activists on abortion that stressed they should talk about a woman's choice. Two years later, the same guy emphasized the need for "quote" gender-neutral language, and Powell makes this is a great, great kind of coverage because he's,
1: I mean you can't make this stuff up,
0: right? If you if you can't say, and this is why people on the left should be very concerned about the trend. If you can't say women, you can't address women's issues, and it's 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 cuckoo, and it's it is it's 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 and and I am pleased now that more people are entering the space, and you found a great one at the- We'll get
1: there, but I mean, he, he scratches at the surface in this piece, which is about the women's issue in particular, about how the women's rights movement on the left is, there's a lot of tension with the other woke left wing movements, the transgender, LGBT movement, and how like, so These ideologies are often at war with each other, and it, like, cripples these organizations. And that was the subject of an amazing piece at The Intercept about the woke meltdowns that are crippling progressive activist groups. And I loved uh, the headline of this piece. The headline is The Elephant in the Zoom.
0: <laughs> that's, that's excellent.
1: Isn't that awesome? That By Ryan Grimm. And the subhead is meltdowns have brought progressive advocacy groups to a standstill at a critical moment in world history. And this takes a different approach to it. It basically talks about how the leaders of all these different progressive activist groups, and they're all over the map, climate groups, abortion groups, you know, everything. They spend the vast majority of their time over the past two years, basically since the George Floyd protests, the management dealing with the complaints of their employees. They're all at war with their employees. So I want to quote from it. He's talking about a group called the Guttmacher Institute that's an abortion rights group.
0: Yep, Um, and they they have a new report out.
1: So he says that the institute has spent the course of the Biden administration paralyzed makes it typical not just – of the abortion rights community. Planned Parenthood, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, and other reproductive health organizations had similarly been locked in knockdown, drag-out fights between competing factions of their organizations, most often breaking down along staff versus management lines. It's also true of the progressive advocacy space across the board, which has more or less effectively ceased to function. The Sierra Club Demos, the American Civil Liberties Union, Color of Change, the Movement for Black Lives, Human Rights Campaign, Time's Up, the Sunrise Movement, and many other organizations have seen wrenching and debilitating turmoil in the past couple years. And then there's a quote from an unnamed executive director who says, My last nine months, I was spending 90 to 95 percent of my time on internal strife whereas before that would have been 25 to 30% tops, the former executive director said. He added that the same portion of his deputy's time was similarly spent on internal reckonings. Most people thought that their worst critics were their competitors, and they're finding out that their worst critics are on their own payroll, said Loretta Ross, an author and activist who has been prominent in the movement for decades, having founded the Reproductive Justice Collective Sister Song.
0: I think that we should also refer to this podcast as a reproductive justice collective. I think, <laughs> I think, I think we should just add the phrase. Re- Sister song. Just, I'm just going to start putting reproductive <laughs> oh, justice collective God. underneath uh, my byline. I, I think this the is the
1: whole piece. And again, we'll link it in the show notes. Like it goes really deep into what the employees are demanding and how there's a commonality across the entire progressive space. But it brought to mind what we were talking about at the Washington Post, which all played out in public how these people are all fighting with each other. There is a total lack of professionalism and an understanding of what the workplace is for. And it's not just the Post, it's everywhere.
0: I think that what's interesting for me, about uh, Grimm. Here, Ryan Grimm wrote this piece. So he's the bureau chief for The Intercept in Washington. But he used to be at HuffPo. He used to be at where well, he was MSNBC, a former contributor for MSNBC, a contributor to the Young Turks Network. So, like, progressive, like, far left. And That's
1: true, though. The Intercept, I think, more eschews this identity, identity well, the young politics. Tur- but the, he's definitely on the line.
0: But that's my point is that you are now having more and more people on the left identify this as a problem. And the journal, for Grimm to do, put it this way, if this was a piece in the wall street journal or even Michael Powell, it would hit differently than it does coming from somebody who was sort of on the, you know, again, the young Turks, that's far left, progressive left. So I think this is part of a growing awareness on the left far left media that they have they're engaging in self defeating behavior for their own goals. up next. Oh, but you you found this, and this is truly great. And I love much of NPR. Oh God. Uh, oh God. It's but this this headline is Guys, you know
1: something good's coming when Chris prefaces it with how much he loves the source most of the time.
0: I will read that I will read the tweet uh, that you found from NPR it is excellent. Tampons, comma a necessity for many, are becoming harder and harder to find. Not
1: gonna say who they're a necessity for. Can't say that. Hold
0: on. Tampons, a necessity for many, are becoming harder to find. People who menstruate are saying it's hard to find tampons on store shelves. So, like Donald Trump, people people are saying people who menstruate. And 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 what's funny about it is, of course, you can replace it with one word. You can re- replace three words with one word. People who menstruate, women, right. And I, like, the complexities of identity are such that, like, you don't want to misgender an individual, right? If you were talking about a woman who was biologically, or are you talking about a, a woman who is was biologic, no, I'm sorry. If you're talking about a man who was biologically, who was born, or was assigned the sex female at birth, In an article, you would not call them a woman. I understand why you would not call them a woman. But the point of a news article is to be understood in the fewest words possible as clearly as you can. So what you would say is women are are saying it's hard to find tampons, not people who menstruate. That's not misgendering anyone. And if somebody – you're not specifically saying, ah, you're that's who you are. We see you. And it's so stilted and so – It's just awful. It's just so stilted and removed from the ordinary language of everyday life. It is not our job in the media to train people on how to think and what to say. It is our job to communicate with them. I don't mean you should ever cause unnecessary offense. I don't believe that you should do that. But this is making obvious things abstruse instead of understandable. A rump.
1: I think that brings us to our Pride Month segment.
0: Oh, so good. Our Pride
1: Month portion column of the front page. Pride
0: Month, home of the Whopper.
1: So tell us, so Burger King...
0: (laughs) Burger King Austria.
1: Burger King Austria. What's wrong Although with Austrians? I wish, I wish it had happened here.
0: What's wrong with Austrians that are eating Burger King? What's wrong Austria? I thought of you as a wealthy country and it, Are like, you
1: kidding me? I love Burger King. I love Burger I King too. Love Burger King. I love Burger King those too. Those little onion rings. And and,
0: <sighs> and the onion rings are great and whatever the chemical they dip the patties in to create the char, extra charboil flavor, I'm here for it.
1: And those Crispy chicken sandwiches that are like long. Yeah, like the old, sub. yeah, the, oh. yeah, the one,
0: and they do a chicken parm version. But no they one you Yeah, no one Whoa. has ever. But no one has ever walked out of a Burger King and been like, "Good choice, feel good, me, ready to go."
1: I remember when I was a kid, they experimented with two different things. One was like table service oh at Lord. the Burger King. Do you, does anybody remember? I this? do. Oh, that was awesome! And then two seafood. They a, had a seafood experiment.
0: Well, they've had a fish sandwich.
1: No, no, but it was like shrimp, and it was like a Long John uh, Silver's meshed with Burger King. Berger, this Burger, King
0: Burger King is Pepsi, right? Like, Burger King is the one that you're like, you guys know, and they're like, we know, we know, we know. We're not Coke. We got it. We're not McDonald's, but we're trying stuff.
1: It, it was so fun. But
0: I just, I, when I think of Austria, I am not like, Austrians are like, yeah, we're going to have the Burger Kings now. It's delicious. Home of Zivapa. I don't know what German for Whopper is. Yeah, Zivapa. I didn't just did not identify. But anyway, here is the coverage from NBC News' Today show. After declaring it's time to be proud, Burger King Austria's Pride Whopper. <laughs> After declaring, I have to read that again. After declaring, it's time to be proud with Burger King Austria's Pride Whopper. (laughs) So as a Pride Whopper, the advertising agency behind the campaign is taking a step back earlier this month as part of the fast food restaurant's Pride Month campaign, they released versions of their Whopper burgers with either two top sesame seed buns or bottom buns on Saturday. Austrian agency... Jung von Matt Dunau issued an apology after the campaign was met with criticism online. Okay, so number one, you're ridiculous, Burger King Austria, but I love you, right? Like, you're trying to have a Pride Whopper. This is great, whatever. It's funny. And ridiculous, and I I doubt that gay gay and lesbian if you people were in Austria ordering,
1: would you ask for two top ones or two bottom buns? Two bottom
0: buns, because the t- me too two tops too I many would, sesame seeds too totally, fluffy.
1: I would also get two. I'd bottom go for buns.
0: dense over extra fluffy same, sesame same. seeds for sure. Same seeds, but what is the my critique here is of NBC and not just NBC. Oh, this story went a lot of places online with criticism online so it's a it's a non story right it's a thing that didn't happen because no one in austria they were not burning burger kings right the the gay community in salzburg was not throwing cinder blocks through the windows of burger kings to denounce their <laughs> pride whopper and this is some people some and some of the stuff that people said online was funny and jokey, and I'm sure there was criticism, but this is an excuse. This stories like this. If the only controversy is some stuff that somebody said, if 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 you ever read a story, and it is based on tweets, you're not reading a real news story, right? If if this is like, oh, people were upset on Twitter, and then we covered it. Think about this. Think about this is this is I guess the core of the complaint. Hi, I'm a lazy journalist. I want to do Pride Month stories and this is a <laughs> this is a funny story about a funny Why campaign. don't they go
1: interview people about which is more popular? The two in Austria, the two top right. bun whopper or the two bottom bun whopper. Yeah,
0: if you're liking both the top and the bottom, I'm trying a different
1: I Because that is a poll that is a story that I would click.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. The be smart. People yeah. prefer the bottoms. Um, <laughs> but but. So this is a lazy reporter looking for, and I've been a lazy reporter, so I'm speaking from experience, looking for a Pride Month Oh My hope. gosh,
1: my job Here, is being a lazy here's reporter.
0: Here's a funny angle, and now how do we make it a story? Because you can't just do like, waka waka, here's a cute thing they were doing. At, who, number one, who knew there were Burger Kings in Austria? Number two, here's a funny thing they did. Instead, they have fake controversy by reporting about what what doofuses said on Twitter, so whatever.
1: You know who else got in on Pride Month? Liba. Fox News. Fox News.
0: Did they do better or worse than Austrian Burger King?
1: I think. I think it's it's a tough draw. call. It's, it's a, a tough draw. call. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a tough call. So Fox News making a splash, jumping in on Pride Month, celebrating a the transition of a oh, young yeah. boy born a little girl who transitioned to a boy and uh, let, let's play the clip pride month continues as we highlight the story of rylan whittington whose journey of transitioning at age five has been seen by seven million people in a family youtube video brian jenis has the story about that family that hopes their experience can help others watch here if you saw me walking down the street
0: you wouldn't think anything different. 14-year-old Ryland Whittington is a typical Southern California teenager. And the Whittingtons, along with mom Hillary, dad Jeff, and sister Brinley are a typical family. The only difference, though, in Ryland's eyes is what this family can mean to the tens of thousands of kids under 18 who identify as transgender.
1: Okay, so, you know, the people turning on their TVs like to tune into Fox, probably not what they're expecting to hear. So it
0: it did. I I will say, like, so the criticism that Fox came in for this and we can listen. Can we listen to Ben Shapiro here now what he said from the right?
1: And this brings me to again, this is the most disturbing thing that I have seen in quite a while. Not because of what it says. I've seen this sort of content on CNN, MSNBC. Good Morning America, for that matter but because of where this appeared. So this appeared on Fox News on Friday. And the fact that this appeared on Fox News, a purportedly conservative network that stands for the values of traditional American conservatism and believes in Judeo-Christian values, and that it is propagandizing openly on behalf of transing small children, because that's what this segment is. It was a five-minute segment about why it is not just okay, it is good to try to turn your little girl into a little boy
0: Okay, so like, not unfounded, because this no. is a very sort of ham handed effort where you see corporate corporate America is like, we are celebrating Pride Month, but I don't know how to do that. So we'll do it this way. So for Fox, obviously, that's not what the Fox viewership the Fox viewership for whom transgender issues is a absolute, like, for Tucker Carlson's audience and others, transgender stuff is an absolute lightning rod, and I can't believe no one...
1: Not only that, but for young children. Yeah, oh, no, that's uh,
0: what it, yeah, this is for the... For
1: young children. There,
0: there is ongoing debate on Fox... And then
1: the way they put it was, like, our son didn't kill himself right? because rather, we rather, let him transition. And, and if you don't support that, you're you're, your kids killing them." And I don't
0: want to take anything away from the experience of this family or this kid. I don't know. I don't know nothing about it. And all, all I'm saying is that from a Pride Month branding error, like I, you know what I call it worse than Austria's than than uh, Pride Whopper. Totally worse. I say <laughs> it's worse than Pride Whopper because Month just fail. It's it's so ham fisted. But the New York Times did a. <laughs> wonderful piece in which they chronicled the pride month failings of all of the pride month my favorite of course pride month is the nhl celebrates pride month
1: oh tell me tell me well
0: just because the idea that hockey players are like yeah you know eh, I was thinking about how in june i really like to appreciate and you're like no no one gay people are not like i'd like to support the nhl but are they for gay rights i don't know and they're like oh yeah totally eh these mullets may not be fashion-forward, but we are pro-gay rights for sure.
1: kind of like my dad.
0: Who we've got who has, to interview. Who
1: has a Minnesota accent. Who we
0: have to interview. When, uh,
1: if slash when that happens, we should splice your Minnesota accent against his real answers.
0: I'm no hoser. Okay, so the New York Times chronicled uh, this. Sometimes lumped under the label of rainbow capitalism, <laughs> pride ads and merchandise are often the subject of jokes and memes that question the sincerity of corporate marketing and the influence influencers who help boost such messages. This year, the online ribbing started right away. Katie Johnigan something uh, riffed on a common joke format just after midnight on June 1st. And emotional coming out message ending with the reveal of a brand partnership. I've realized life is short, she wrote on Twitter which is why this Pride Month I've decided to partner with Taco (laughs) Bell so that I can live moths. And the other one is from Dwayne the Rock Bottom. As a queer child, I learned firsthand that sometimes words can be the most hurtful weapons. That's why this Pride Month I've partnered with Raytheon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. And it is. You know what? That is what Beacon should do. The Beacon should partner with, like, you know, the manufacturer of, like, some nuclear weapons and being like, Exactly. Well, here's, so Raythe- Sticks and stones can break my bones, but nukes?
0: That's right. Raytheon Technologies. But re- a
1: nuclear first strike can, all, can protect us.
0: Raytheon Technologies released a statement on June 1st outlining its commitment to the LGBTQ workers and noting that the company, quote, is regularly recognized by the human rights campaign as one of the best places for LGBTQIA plus employees to work. And you just know that as they're loading those missiles into the F-22 Raptors, they're like, there's a little rainbow sticker on the side, and as you know, did and- you see
1: the Marine thing where they put rainbow bullets on the helmet. <laughs> <laughs> they did. I am not kidding. They, the Marines, put out a thing that where they were like bullets on a helmet, oh and they gosh. were in the rainbow.
0: Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So Miss uh, Jorgen, you know when
1: people are like about to join the Marines, they're like, are but are they gay friendly?
0: are they get, they're about
1: to enlist exactly. and before they I would do like that, to they be run, a rifleman they run I, a sensitivity check Right.
0: exactly exactly oh so so uh, again happy pride month to everyone please enjoy a whopper and maybe you know what we could do please we go buy two whoppers be kind
1: to your gay and lesbian friends 12 months out of the year
0: yes that's right but we should buy two whoppers and then we can make our own two bottom whopper then we'll have it it'll be good
1: Well, I just want to report that my sister, who alerted me, she loved that Burger Burger King Austria thing. And she, so I knew about this even before there were complaints. You're
0: plugged in. She
1: said she would get two tops.
0: Well, that's, you know, different strokes for different folks, different buns for different huns.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
0: Now it's time for your beat.
1: Oh, totally. So we left it last week at, the Post asked Felicia Sanmez. Yeah,
0: that was after our dramatic reading of tweets.
1: After our dramatic reading, the Post asked, or they, they said, bye, Felicia.
0: The wretch effect.
1: We did it. Someone, someone <laughs> sent me a really funny t- tweet that was a play on the original Dave Weigel tweet that was, you know, all women are bi, it's either polar or sexual. That was the joke that he right. said. And someone sent me a really funny tweet that said, all women are bi, it's either Felicia or sexual. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was that that person when they had been holding, I bet you that tweeter had yeah. been like sitting yeah. on that one, like a Fabergé egg, like, ooh, when so, the time comes.
1: So the post fired Felicia saying that she was in violation of the policies that they articulated. It was clearly. Which you, I don't want to be. What?
0: I don't want to be a nace. I I, I, I Oh,
1: I said she that she wouldn't you were, get fired. Right? You were
0: skeptical. You said that I it, totally
1: was. Yes, yes. I yes. didn't think they would do it. You were you said that they were going to, right? I said
0: they were going to and that I wouldn't Oh yeah,
1: you said you'd put her put her out to, Oh, so we have like a reverse. Yeah. I said I would fire her, but didn't think they would. You said you wouldn't but you, I thought they would. Okay.
0: I would I would have sent her Christmas to cover writes. the Fredericksburg school board and kept her in outer Slobobia for until she quit.
1: I would have sent her to cover, like, you know, the school board in Siberia. Yes, exactly.
0: The the Urtusk school board. Yeah,
1: So she went bye-bye. Um, not sure what they're going to do about all the other people who are tweeting criticism of their colleagues. Um, so she had, like, 400 offenses, and everybody else, you know, at the Post, they have, like, 20 offenses of t- tweeting at their colleagues. So I was amused that Taylor Lorenz, our favorite, uh, our other favorite Washington Post reporter, now our favorite, because by Felicia is by Felicia, she seems to have found a workaround. We've talked on the podcast before about she had this giant correction appended to her. It was a our Giant editor's beautiful. note appended to her column, and the, Post's, uh, the Washington Post media critic, Eric Wemple, wrote a piece about it.
0: As he had to.
1: He had to, so he did, and he noted that the Even the editor's note correction contained factual errors and that the post would not explain anything to him. So she seems to have found a workaround for the post's newly articulated policy. And she tweeted the following... A prominent media reporter shouldn't be amplifying a radicalized influencer who helped perpetuate Gamergate in order to attack a female female journalist. So she's clearly who is that? Uh, she's tweeting at Eric Wemple. I know,
0: but who is the uh, radicalized influencer? It's one of the YouTubers
1: she was writing oh. about who said you didn't contact me for comment and you and so oh, she's doing it, but without subtweeting him and without naming him. So this is her new workaround. But I also wanted to read her other tweet, Taylor's other tweet. This was what she tweeted about going on a plane.
0: Yes. Please, please, if if you ever wondered, and look.
1: If you ever wondered who's bringing you the news. I
0: really go back and forth on this, and uh, mental illness is real, and, like, I I got it. I got it. But the performative nature, I, I guess I will say this. The New York Times offloaded Taylor Lorenz to the Washington Post. The Washington Post made a serious error in hiring Taylor, an obvious uh, serious error in hiring Lorenz because, and I don't, I guess that's a very long way of saying, I don't think it's good even for her. It's not not my place to say what's good or bad for her personally. But based on this tweet, I don't feel it's good for her to have a, a prominent public platform.
1: Okay, here's the tweet. I have to fly soon for work. And as someone who is medically vulnerable, I'm so scared. All COVID precautions that keep high-risk people safe have been dropped. I plan to keep an N95 on my face for all seven hours with zero water breaks, but I'm scared it may not seal perfectly. Any tips?
0: I don't think she's actually looking for tips. I think she wants the, the phrase, on my face for all seven hours with zero water breaks, the That is not a – that's, like, performative, right? Now, I don't know what her medical vulnerability is, and it may be severe, right? Like, she may be immunocompromised. I have no idea. My heart goes out to her if that is the situation. But this performative stuff, like, and the way she's dealing with Weigel, she's just obviously not in a place where she can do this stuff. And I don't think it's good for her. It can't be good for her to be in this prominent position if she is troubled in this Uh, way.
1: Ink looney loony bin. Uh not That's the all ink I'm stain. Say.
0: That's not. We don't have a loony bin for the e. podcast. Loony you bin. have a private. EJ
1: loony bin. Private. Okay. Continuing my portion. No, uh, we no, had I love a this story. Delicious report on CNN from starting with Axios,
0: which we had last week. Right? The no,
1: no, different, different,
0: different. This is. But, but
1: we've the, it, there. Have but been last a bunch.
0: week, last week we had an item about the partisanship evaluation.
1: Um. So. Dylan Byers at Puck writes about an Axios report that Chris Licht, yes, Chris Licht, the new CNN president, is, quote, evaluating partisan talent. Uh uh And Dylan Byers writes that at CNN's proverbial water cooler, the most pressing question centers on whether or not any of Zucker's truth warriors, that's Jeff, Jeff Zucker, the former CNN president, will lose their jobs. The Axios report mentioned just two on-air talents by name. Jim Acosta, the network's famously confrontational White House correspondent, who wrote a book decrying Trump's attacks on the press, and Brian Stelter, the outspoken media correspondent who has devoted much of his on-air and online real estate over the years to calling out Trump and Fox News for attacks on the truth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, the evaluations are underway. The chatter is happening at CNN. It does appear... Chris that Mr. Stelter and Mr. Acosta are on the chopping block.
0: I think that you could there's a there's an argument to be made about Brian Stelter being a contributor or like an opinion monger on the network but not as a media critic. There's no there's no no way, right, that you can put all that toothpaste back in the tube. I can't imagine that you could do it. And basically here's what I'm here's my guess that they've got the, as, as, as important as it is, will be for them to identify individuals who are outside the law. It will be also important for them for Lick to find it, to say like, but this is what we want to be like. Right. So you're looking for firings and demotions, but you're also like, okay, who's going to get promoted? How, how much more tapper will there be? Who else? Like how, how, how does Lick see the future of the network? And we're going to get to find that out pretty soon. And I got to tell you, I Continue to root for this guy, he's the competition now at CNN. Now that I'm with News Nation, but man, I this is a place I hope there's plenty of competition in the middle. Come on in, it, it's good in here.
1: You know, there is no way for Lick to do what he wants to do without firing people. I've said this, no, of course, I've said this from the beginning. Absolutely. Like, you have first of all, you have to have your own people in there, yes. Like, when, when Zucker left. When Zucker got the boot, there were 200 stories about how loyal all the talent was to him. Licht has to have his own people in there. They have to be loyal to him. And like all these people, their work is a matter of public record. People have a perception of CNN because of a handful of these people.
0: I think you can let some people... I'm sure that when you began your iron rule at the Washington Free Beacon, uh, you took a period to see... Who was good? How you liked it? What was going on? And also, you got to give people permission to come home, or come in, or change. Right? People do change for sure. I, look, I if you, you what you'd probably hope if you're licked,
1: well, we, you want to do the following. You want to see like a take a look at people, talk to them who who like wants to, you know. Right, change that's what I mean. If you're willing, way, if you have a willing
0: heart, it's who like who I doesn't. talk about the Democrats and the, their attempt to debathify the Republican Party. And it's like anyone who ever touched Donald Trump must be thrown into the sun and da 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 da. It's like, no, that's not how it works. If you have people who want to move in the right direction on the January 6th stuff, let them move. And the same would be true for Chris Licht. If you have people who say, I'm glad you're here. I was Team Zucker, but now I'm glad you're here and I want to be Team Licht, right? For sure. Let let him do it. now. But he will, of course, as you say will have to be firings or, at at a minimum, contracts, demotions, and contracts allowed to expire.
1: What do we got next?
0: It's uh, yours, and I have not read it, so you're going to have to lead the way. Oh,
1: yes. So this is the final item on our front page. You know, this is like the little box uh, on the bottom right corner that says, like, you know, read this on page A8. Oh, the teaser, Um, okay. So Joe Kahn... The new executive editor at the New York Times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, gets a big write-up in Vanity Fair, and it's pretty boring. It's basically like, oh, well, he's boring, and he's an Ivy League white guy, and how did he get the job? It's an interview with him, which we'll link in the show notes. But what did jump out at me is that he basically says, in so many words, get the F off Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, the F
0: is for fudge.
1: Yes. And My sons are listening. So I just wanted to quote him. He says, I don't want to try to. So he's talking about the Washington Post brouhaha. Uh-huh. I don't want to try to second guess exactly what happened at the Post. No, but let's no, do it. Never <laughs> want to do that. Obviously, we all paid close attention to that. But I don't know all the details, and I don't know all the individuals. What we've done is a few weeks ago we put out our own sort of restatement of our approach to Twitter, and that was Dean Baquet's memo that said. Right. You know, stop living your life on Twitter, which many of us spent quite a bit of time thinking through. And I'm glad we did it. I think it's time for people to put that particular platform into a bit more perspective and, frankly, to take a step back from an over-reliance on Twitter as a place to vet grievances with your own news organization And
0: everything except for jokes.
1: And he says, the message that we had for our staff was just do it less. And in particular, the parts that we would want you to do less of it are, you know, getting into fights with trolls – going down rabbit holes, battling with your sources, airing grievances with your colleagues or other pieces of journalism. If you weren't going to create a public record about your journalistic dispute with a colleague in your own report, why would you run to Twitter and do it there?
0: And the and yes, bravo, bravo. But in addition to that, put it in your story. Why are you wasting your energy through the day tweeting no the percentage of Americans who are on Twitter is small. And you get a lot of belly scratches from your peers, right? It feels good because you're like, oh, I'm a celebrity journalist. Look, here's another celebrity journalist and we're liking and retweeting mm-hmm. each other and it feels good. But put it in your story. If you don't spend time during the day dribbling out your story with an eyedropper, you work at the New York Dagon times. You've got the biggest, you know, you've got the, the biggest megaphone in the print news business. Use it.
1: That brings us to our obsessions of the week. The stories that we couldn't get out of our heads. And Chris, mine was an obsession that the New York Times finally wrote about this morning. But earlier this week, I was obsessed as we, January 6th hearings started a week ago today. And as we see Democrats on the dice, is that the Deus, correct dais, correct pronunciation? Mm-hmm. Talking about the threat to democracy and you know their fear for the integrity of our democratic institutions, Democrats across the country are pouring millions of dollars mm-hmm. um, into the campaigns in a few cases of Republicans running for office who literally marched on the Capitol on January sixth. And they are doing so in the hopes that they are less electable than their moderate Republican counterparts.
0: Yes. Um, and the and most, this is- The most as, egregious case being the Pennsylvania governor's uh, election.
1: Mastriano. Yep. And there are others. Valadeo.
0: Valadeo. I'm sorry for all of the times, David Valadeo, Congressman David Valadeo that I mispronounced your name. But – and the way these Democratic groups do it often is to run them as attack ads because it's even more effective. Right. That you're attacking from the left. Like, this guy's too Trumpy. He's too MAGA-y, which sends – like puts the blood in the water for the MAGA people.
1: They're doing it in gubernatorial races and in, in Senate races and in House races. And this is after Democrats have said we need two healthy political parties. It is not – Some
0: Democrats for, have some said. Some
1: Democrats. It is not – It is not good for democracy to have one political party that's for fascism and the other one that's for democracy. So it was driving me crazy not to hear Democrats questioned when they were doing media interviews about January 6th and asked, do you support the efforts of others in your party to elevate these Republican candidates? So the New York Times had a story on it this morning.
0: And it's a good story.
1: And the headline is... Democrats risky bet: colon, aid GOP extremists in spring, hoping to beat them in fall. As Democratic leaders warn loudly of right-wing threats to democracy, their campaign arms are meddling in Republican primaries, betting they can help pick easier opponents in November. And the story is by Jonathan Weissman. And he writes that these efforts, starkest in the Central Valley of California, where a Democratic campaign ad lashed Republican Representative David Valadeo. And in this case, they're attacking the moderate, a Republican, for voting to impeach Donald J. Trump- have prompted angry finger-pointing and a debate within the party over the perils and wisdom of the strategy, especially in the middle of the January 6th committee's hearings on the Capitol attack. The concern is obvious. In a year when soaring gasoline prices and disorienting inflation have crushed President Biden's approval ratings, Republican candidates who Democrats may deem unelectable could well win on the basis of their party affiliation alone.
0: Here's Valadeo. I voted the way I voted because I thought it was important. But to put us in a spot where we're voting for these things and then try to use it as ammo against us as in the campaigns and put people that they potentially see as a threat to democracy in a position where they can become members of Congress, it tells me that they're not serious about governing. And true, Democrats attacking uh, a Republican for voting to impeach Trump is wrong. But even the, the Mastriano in Pennsylvania is sick because... Let's say the Democratic candidate—I forget his name—Josh right Josh now. Shapiro, Shapiro
1: in Pennsylvania. Yeah, He's is that a the Democratic candidate? I knew he it was a Josh. He spent more on a single ad
0: trying to elevate Mastriano than Mastriano. Mastriano, Mastriano spent on his
1: whole TV budget.
0: And the Mastriano. So let's say that Josh, which what's his last Shapiro. name? Shapiro. Shapiro. No relation to Ben. I assume that he makes a mistake or there's a scandal that takes him down or some very bad thing happens. And as the New York Times points out, it's such a good Republican year that some unexpected races are going to go Republicans' way. You could have the governor of Pennsylvania as – you could have a man-elected governor of Pennsylvania who has vowed to try to steal Pennsylvania's electoral votes in 2024. And I'm looking at these Democrats like, hey, guys, like – we need people of goodwill here, not people who are trying to exploit. And this by the stuff.
1: way, so Phil Murphy, the governor of Jersey, is the is the head of the Democratic Governors Association. He has spoken out about January 6th and is saying all the right things for his party. You know, I would like to see him asked what yeah. he thinks of this, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down.
0: Kudos, NYT.
1: Yeah, that was it. Was a good piece.
0: Okay. What, I've probably said it before, but my my one of my favorite New Yorker cartoons is there's a group of reporters standing around in the newsroom and there's a dartboard on the wall. And the guy's got a dart in his hand and he goes, and on the dartboard it says, like, economics, world affairs, blah, blah, blah. It's all into different slivers. And he goes, okay, what should I be an expert on today? And it's funny because it, it is really part of our job, right? We have to study up on special – like – you got to learn sometimes to report, you got to learn and that's fine. But I will tell you, as the following clip will illustrate, when it comes to talking about economics, journalists stink
1: on Biden, Biden. Thank you, Joe
0: Biden, like <laughs> all of that. And I'm sure you've been tough on Biden. You were critical like Larry Summers. You said we got to stop spending money. So you, you have been tough on the Biden administration on Democrats. But is most of this talk about, hey, this is all Biden's fault? Is that just utter nonsense it's, on inflation? Yeah, look, there, there, there are, uh, are several culprits. There's Biden and what he's done. And it's not irrelevant, but it's not. The, and, what, and, it, and what is that? Well, that is all the spending, basically. Yeah, the, the, American the, American the relief, the relief, the
1: $1,400 checks, the $2 trillion that you and I have talked about a lot. Come to the White House. We're going to have a roundtable. Come on, Mitch. Come on, Kevin. Come on, editors of, of,
0: all, of all of the newspapers Come that are blaming mm-hmm. me. Come on, op-ed uh, writers, everybody blaming me for inflation. I want you guys to tell me what to do about inflation. And I'm going to have a notepad, and, you know, and I'm going to write it politics- down, and we're going to put a... Okay, so look, some of that's politically motivated, some of that's whatever, but blah, 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 blah. But the, Washington, or the Wall Street Journal had a great piece about this phenomenon. And I want to just give you the lead. Yeah, they,
1: the Journal, they didn't think that the journalists should come tell Joe Biden what to do about inflation. Right. They're like, uh, maybe we should get some economists talking about this. So
0: Greg Ipp at the Wall Street Journal, having failed to anticipate the steepest inflation in 40 years, you would think that the economics discipline would be knee deep in postmortems. Not yet. Outside of a handful of individuals, economists have thus far Devoted remarkably little attention to how their theories and models got inflation so wrong, and he goes on from there. And he's a very he's a good. And by the way, there are lots of good economics writers out there. Neil Irwin at the New York Times. I read like I read widely from economics writers. It's hard and it's complicated. And some people have covered themselves in glory in talking about how all this stuff is going to work, but it, most of it has been super stinky, and a lot of it has been groupthink and collective, collective, you know, willful ignorance, I think. I think there was such a desire among many in the press to say that there would be no inflation. And I should point out, inflation hawks were wrong under Obama. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. People were talking, people, guys on the Fed were talking, you like, we're going to have inflation, we're going to have inflation. A- in the recovery after the uh, panic of 2008, the... We're going to have all this inflation. And Bernanke and Obama said there wouldn't be. And there wasn't. Now, there wasn't the kind of growth that people wanted. It was like 2% growth and not 4 or 5 It wasn't like the 1983 bounce back. But it was slow and therefore didn't come with as much inflation. So I think reporters got conditioned to identifying inflation concerns, especially among when Democrats are in office. But I think reporters got conditioned who say, oh, inflation, people who talk about inflation, it's sort of like how reporters treat deficit hawks. And the two things obviously are connected. But I think for reporters, they were conditioned to be dismissive of these concerns and therefore more credulous in listening to economists who were painting a rosy picture instead of taking the tougher line. It's understandable, but it's also a failing. And it's what happens when I know that I can't write about economics. I, I can't. I don't know. I can write about politics. I can write a little bit about culture. I can write about journalism. I can write about stuff I know. But I can't write. I'm, I'm no authority on economics. And we, have, we, have, we need a little humility here when we talk about stuff we don't know about, guys.
1: Chris, that brings us to my favorite segment of the week. And it is going to be a good one this week. <laughs> where we talk about reader mail. Dave in Ohio. Dave, thank you. You totally made my week. Dave writes, I love the Ink Stained Wretches podcast, and thank you for making it such a treat every week. It is my favorite podcast, hands down. Here below are a couple items from the Babylon Bee I thought you might appreciate. I'm pretty sure you will have already seen them. Dave, I hadn't, so thank you, but wanted to make sure you didn't miss them. Also, so happy for Chris and his new position with News Nation. Keep up the great work, dear Wretches. And... The two this is items, Dave
0: Dave Keppel from Springboro Ohio Yes
1: and the two items that Dave sends along from the Babylon B the first is bad faith right-wing actors have sabotaged me again cries Taylor Lorenz after stepping on a rake <clears throat> and the second one is death toll from January 6 skyrockets as hearing viewers die of boredom.
0: Oh yeah uh, somebody sent that to me it's a picture of me.
1: Now, I was going to say, now we know that didn't happen.
0: It's a picture of me and whatever.
1: Hold on. Is it actually? It oh. really is. That's awkward.
0: Oh, well, I mean, look, the Babylon Bee has become a very Republican, like, they've become very Republican, and I get it, and it's okay.
1: Well, I like the headline.
0: That The Taylor Lorenz headline is funny, funny. The... January 6th headline. I will pass no judgment on because it's making fun of me. So I will just I – will, I will take it and uh, move on.
1: Okay. Tony from Western Australia.
0: What? Perth,
1: yes. Says, Chris, you are not alone. Your permanently difficult-to-spell word list is 100% congruent with my own. Maybe we're right and everyone else is wrong.
0: What are – I forget what the – oh, so I – colleagues always kills me and privilege always kills me but what about can i share marina in virginia please
1: this is this is awesome this
0: is the this is our our letter of the week dear chris top spelling search in new mexico this is in reference to the item we had about the map the the map of the most misspelled most commonly searched spellings of words in west virginia was west virginia and she says top spelling search in new mexico is Bologna? this actually makes a, a lot of sense new mexico where my husband grew up is actually a hotbed of baloney smuggling we have noticed this phenomenon a couple years ago a couple years ago and routinely see headlines like those below they just never seem to stop customs and border patrol seizes 194 pounds of prohibited baloney customs and border patrol officer seize nearly 300 pounds of pork baloney at new mexico port and border patrol colon nothing funny about baloney smuggling. And I say to you, Border Patrol, you're wrong. There is something very funny about baloney smuggling, and that is government misinformation, and I think we should report it to Homeland Security for misinformation because it is very funny to think of people. So, And I I looked it up. The reason all this baloney smuggling is taking place... What? Yeah. Mexican baloney. I assume Mexican-Americans want... The baloney of their homeland is different and not up to USDA standards. There's agricultural concerns, and that there's apparently the handling and processing of Mexican baloney, which all sounds like a euphemism. I feel like we're talking in code about something, and I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> but the standards for Mexican baloney do not meet US standards, and there's concern about animal illnesses. That could be born over, blah, 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 blah. But I will say, and and this, but I assume Mexicans in the United States want their home baloney, their home homeloney. They want the the baloney of their homeland, just like they uh, want, you know, when you go to the international grocery store and they have the Mexican Coke and the Mexican cola that tastes different because it's from Mexico. People want their home, their home food. By the way, have you ever gone to an international, one of the great international grocery stores in Northern Virginia? Like what? One's called—I don't know how it's pronounced—called lat or latte. The Italian
1: store.
0: Well, the Italian store is great, right? Everybody knows that. Great
1: international grocery store. No,
0: this is like you got to go to the one that has Korean. Lots of crazy Korean stuff. No, I'd love to go with
1: your son. Let me guess.
0: Love to go with my kids. Yeah, it's it, and you have to buy at least one thing that you don't know what it is at all. And on the last trip, it was a sausage or cheese. Unclear. The English, the English on the uh, packaging is always great because it's always Google Translate English. But it was like a sausage cheese made of fish, and it, one of the one of the disclaimers on it said, "There may be bl- there may be dark spots in the cheese sausage from fish pieces. This is natural. Consume enjoy." And I will say it was not good, but we can all now was say it was it awful. It. it was like it didn't like burn your mouth, but you were like, ugh. But I suppose if a Korean person well, ate, you remember the handy snacks that had the four crackers, you peeled off the top and yes. there was a little tub of cheese yes. and the little red spatula that you can take oh, it yeah. out and spread it? Oh, yeah. I'm sure Korean people are like, Americans are so disgusting. Those taste, were not good. Taste. But the, the ones
1: with peanut butter were good.
0: Well, the peanut, well, well now hold on a second. In that case, you can go right to, you can move all the way forward to, the the Nutella
1: and have they ever had Dunkaroos?
0: Well, have you ever had Dunkaroos? Oh. But the Nutella that with the breadsticks, oh the yeah, cracker sticks. There you go. Try. The, so I mean, good. if we're if we're going to fan, if we're going beyond that the handy snack, was bad. That definitely any cheese that can melt and then recoagulate reco- inside a container, <laughs> and it's like it's it's probably fine. And my eldest was uh, said, "Well, do you think so what's the expiration date?" I was like. You could put this in the Los Alamos nuclear bomb zone. You could irradiate it for 20 years. You could store it in a sewer, and it would still be exactly like it is now. This is definitely (laughs) impervious. Okay.
1: It's that time. Heck yeah. Where Chris makes me say something nice, but he leads by example, our favorite items of the week.
0: I'm going to offer this with limited comment because I wish the happy couple all the best in the world. But my favorite item, which was sent to me by an alert Inkstained Wretches listener, was this engagement announcement in Politico Playbook. All caps. Engaged! Ian Winnick, principal at Hilltop Public Solutions, proposed to Hannah Bird, program manager at Emma's Torch, at City Center, D.C. on Friday, during a walk with their dog, Clementine, Ian asked Hannah, Ian asked if Hannah had seen her new collar. Now, of course, they should have said Clementine's new collar. Sorry to to grammar check you. (laughs) When Hannah bent down to see that the new collar had a dog tag that read, marry me, question mark, she turned around to see Ian on one knee with the ring. The couple had their first date at the big hunt when Ian was back in town. This is maybe the greatest sentence ever in playbook. The couple had their first date at the big hunt. When Ian was back in town from the Beto O'Rourke campaign for the Nats World Series in 2019, now look, you all don't maybe know what the big hunt is. That's not a date, Ian. I'm going to just tell you up front. Taking a girl to, how would you just? It's not even a dive bar. It's like a frat. It has like a stale beer. Like,
1: Dude, I think it closed is it closed? Yeah, it closed.
0: The it it has big I
1: like f- a dive so. But it's not it's I like liked a frat.
0: It. Like it, it is a place where you would see bros. The photo
1: farewell to the big hunt. We'll put it in there. Okay, <laughs> it, we're going to put the photo farewell in the show notes. It
0: would be like a place where bros would come after a softball game to 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 uh pound some Miller lights is what it's like. So, it is not a date, but I will just say that Ian you and you and Hannah with Clementine Uh, who who I assume is a golden retriever, have now reached the peak D.C. couple. You have now become the peak D.C. couple. Congratulations.
1: And my favorite was the New York Times article headlined, What makes a bathing suit so expensive? Oh, boy. Yes. And then the subheadline is, Inside the construction of a one-piece swimsuit, a complicated symbol of, quote, the most vulnerable time of the year. And I liked it because... I have often wondered this. Like you go and you look at the prices of these things and it's like, why is this $200? Like it's two little pieces of fabric. And the quotes are hilarious. One of the designers says, it's a little bit like your wedding day. (laughs) There's the same kind of anxiety around walking out onto a pool or beach. Everyone's looking at me. Maybe they're not, but they might be. And because of that, swimwear is a place that women will spend. The truth is, no matter what income bracket you're in, nobody wants to pay $400 for a swimsuit, Ms. Coulter said, but they may do it anyway.
0: Yeah. And, uh, crazy. And you believe, and this is true with men too about certain things, if it's too cheap, you don't think it's any good. So it's got to be expensive enough that you believe like, oh, this must be good. Like, I'll put it this way. If you're buying, let's say you're buying nutritional supplements, you're going to buy vitamins or whatever, and one is $5 and one's 35 dollars the $35 one, your brain goes, well, it must be better if it's... Thir- I'm gonna At least I'm going to buy the good one. If I don't know what to do here, at least I'm going to buy the good one. That's a great piece. Before we sign off, I want to offer my great thanks to Samantha Goldstein. This is her last joint with El Recho's. She is on her way. She's going to be uh, Taylor Lorenzo's Twitter caddy. She's going over to... No, she's going on to a, a great new job and we will all miss her here at the American Enterprise Institute. She has been a great colleague and a big part of getting wretches going. And, Samantha, you will be missed. And we're so proud to see to see what you'll do from here.
1: Remember her name. Samantha uh,
0: Goldstein. When it's
1: Goldstein 2048.
0: Sammy G. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. That's what I'm saying. That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, Email us at wretches at com. That's wretches at com. This has been Inkstained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches.